Hi, welcome back to Medusa's Yoni Talks. Thank you so much for tuning in. On this episode, I am reeling it backwards and doing something that I should have done in my first intro episode, where I talked a little bit about me, but I excluded a big version of myself, which is my life story. I don't think I was ready to tell then, but as I am now approaching my 29th birthday, August 9th, I am feeling more ready these days to shed a version of myself that I usually keep hidden. And I feel like this is a version of myself that has been screaming to be talked about, screaming to bring a you know light to. Um, I just never really had, I guess, the words to really talk about it. Um, and I feel like, you know, sitting in front of a camera is easy as they think, but it's really not that easy. Um, I find myself talking more actively on Twitter these days. And there was something that was brought up on Twitter that brought up the reasoning of this episode. I was discussing some childhood traumas, some that resonates with um, my mother. <laughs> I know I touched base on my intro episode where I talked about my spirituality, how I discovered it through my mother and her Santo religion. Well, that's partial of it. Um, I don't even know where to begin, to be honest. Like this, my life story is such like, mm, all over the place. Um, how I'm gonna explain my life story and the traumas and how it shaped and molded me to be the woman that I am today, you might understand why at the beginning intro episode, I may have not been ready. And I think it was a subconscious thing, a subconscious thing that I am not ready to tell this story. But now subconsciously and consciously, I'm ready to tell it. Back when I started my podcast is also around the time that my oldest brother, um, from same mom, same dad, I am the third youngest of 20 siblings. My father is Muslim and he decided to have a beautiful, well-blended family that includes my mother. Um, and there was like a lot of disruptions that happened due to my mother and the woman after her. And that caused a lot of the family to kind of pull apart. Um, so when my brother told me the true story of my upbringing, it brought up also a lot of emotions because I thought I healed so much from my childhood. Um, and I guess that's why it leaves me so confused on like how to even start the story because it's like I have my story and then now I have the story that both my father and my brother have told me, which is this year. They waited 29 years to tell me this version of the story, which is crazy. So I feel like in ways I'm now f having to find a new version of healing myself. I am the product of generational trauma. And I feel like not so many people bring up the word generational trauma, but they don't really um, show that they are the product of it. And I am the product of generational trauma. I know I spoke about how um, as women, we need to care for ourselves and we need to heal ourselves because we could be passing down our own trauma onto our offsprings. Well, I am that offspring that that happened to unknowingly when creating that podcast episode one. <laughs> Um, and so it's like, I'm laughing, but it's also a little like uncomfortable in a way to speak about it. Um, I feel like sharing my story also speaks on sharing my mother's story and my father's story. And I hope that I'm honoring my father by sharing a version of the story that may also bring up emotions from him as well. Um, so I'm just gonna start from the very beginning. My mother is Puerto Rican and my mother is um, the product of her also 
generational trauma. She was born in the hospital. She was neglected in the hospital by her mother, and her mother suffered mental, you know, mental problems and drug problems and she just abandoned my mother at birth in the hospital from there my mother was then thrown in the new york government foster care system from there my mother was shifted around from foster home to foster home and i'm sure she has her version of her story that she's never told me but that's from what i know about from my twin aunts at 17, my mother aged out of foster care, and um, I believe from there, that's when she started associating herself around people, and then that's how she met my oldest brother, passed away his father. My, I have like, my mother had four children. She had an older son who was passed away, and then she had me, my brother, same mom, same dad, and then my younger sibling, sister, who is from another father. So. Dipping back into her story, she found herself associated with a Muslim community and she was welcomed into a family of already set wives. Um, from what I know in the Islamic Muslim community, community, it is the women who accept women into the family. So my mother was already part of a family. She already had a child. And then she was excommunicated, I forget how to say the word, but she was exiled from that family because she was doing dark magic in the Islamic Muslim community. Um, she was doing Santo. Santo was not accepted whatsoever in the community. So they, after many times and many chances and my mother causing issues inside that home, they decided, you know, she can no longer be here. So that is how my father then start, uh, comes into this picture because my mother is going door to door to all the Muslim community's house, help me, save me, asking for pleading help. And the only person who was helping would help her is my father. My father housed her and he helped her. And out of that, he then conceived my oldest brother. Um, from what I know, and this is a version of my story that I, it's not even my story, but a version of my mother's story that I'm uncomfortable sharing because she's never, she's never, I don't know how to explain it, but she just has never opened up to me. So I don't know her. And anytime I have asked her questions, she becomes too emotional to be able to answer and she just refuses to answer. So from what I know, the son that my mom had at first, he died in her care. And because of that, there was a big trial case. She was tried for murder for various of reasons. Um, she did, was not found guilty, but out of that, she did lose custody of my brother, same mom, same dad. My dad stepped in, was like, I don't feel comfortable after certain things that I've witnessed of you as a mother to children, and I'm going to now take my son. She was pregnant with me, I believe. I was then born around the time that she was burying her son, and um, my father then said from that point moving forward, he never, no longer recognized the woman that she had become. She was very emotional. She was very just shut down. She was very just like aloof. Even though she was emotional, she was very aloof. She was just very distant. She wouldn't allow people in, very argumentative. And the same issues that she caused inside of her home, the first Islamic home, she was starting to cause in my father's home. This is where my short story kind of shifts because I don't know where my mother left from you know, my life, but she did leave. She, I believe, um, had issues with my father and just left me and my brother in my father's care. My father having a soft heart for her, anytime she would reach out and say she wanted to be a mother or a part of our lives, he would allow her to. And then she would then 
take me and my brother and kidnap us. So the very first kidnapping that my mother did, I was a baby up until around two, three years old. And during this time when she kidnapped us, she was not also involved in our life. She took us, threw us in the, the uh, care of some random lady's ha uh, you know, house. And then uh, when my mother tried to come get us years later, I was around two, three years at this point, when she decided I want to be a mother, that lady that she randomly left us with was like, you cannot have your children because like you, I haven't heard from you, no mails, no emails, no calls, who are like, what the fuck, you know? My mother reached out to my father, my father then comes and gets me my brother and he gets full custody of me and my brother. From this point, my mother no longer had custody of her own children. She, she runs off until the military, and at this point, I'm now living with my father. I remember as a kid, I was like asking my brother, like, who is my, who's, who's mom? And he was just like, you know that lady who comes and visits, you know, that's mom. And I was just like, that's mom? Like, I just didn't even know who she was. Years go by, and Around my seventh birthday, my dad wakes me up. Um, I want to say it was a month before my seventh birthday. My dad wakes me and my brother up and he's like, your mom's coming to get you. She's going to, you know, take y'all for the summer. Um, let's go make pancakes. So the very last memory that I have of my dad was us going to pick blueberry pancakes from the tree across the street of our childhood home and we made pancakes. And I just remember thinking that day, like things, energies felt off and I just didn't know I just didn't know what it was. So then this lady who is now my mother comes and picks us up. And this is where abuse honestly started to happen. Um, I remember the train ride because we took a train from New York all the way to Dallas, Texas. I remember just being so like emotional and I went to speak with my dad and I was unsure why I went from a loving, caring person, which is my father, to a now person who was shoving pills down my throat at the train station. I wasn't feeling good and she, at six, seven years old, um, decided to take Tylenol. It was a big old pill and shove it down my throat. I was throwing up and she threw another one down my throat. On the train ride home, or I guess to her house in Texas, I don't really fully remember the memory, but there was times where I guess I was acting out emotionally and she was whooping me in front of everybody in the train. So that was like where the abuse started happening. You know, time goes on a month later, it's now my seventh birthday. I. I was so used to waking up with my father, like with presence and love and just all of my siblings loving me. And I wake up and there was nothing. And I remember asking my mom like, oh, where's presents, where's cakes? And she was like, you spoiled child, you're getting nothing for your birthday. And um, yeah, instead of my birthday, me being excited for presents and cake and all this stuff, I cried all day because I genuinely thought I was undeserving to have presents and a cake. Um, later that night, my mom eventually did give me a presents and a cake, but through that whole entire day, she was like, you spoiled brat, you're your father's spoiled brat, your father spoiled you. It was just like a full day on my birthday being traumatized, like being told I was a brat and emotional and that my father spoiled me and all these things. I just didn't understand. I was just seven years old, you know? So that's kind of where the abuse started with my mother. 
During that time, my mother's also part of the Santos religion. I'm unaware that this is what the religion is, but she would take us, me and my brother, to a lot of her gatherings. And this is where I started seeing her being able to meditate, doing the alms, doing, you know, the candles, learning about angels. Like she started on a clear path where she has, is now in her life. It's completely dark magic, but where she started from a child's age, I remember it was in the right direction. Throughout my time living from age age seven to 12, because I thought my mother abandoned me at age 12, but really it was multiple times in our life and she kidnapped us. Around seven, um, I wanna say seven and a half, sometime after my birthday, my mother came to me, my brother, and was like, she gave us a phone and was like, say goodbye to your father because this is the last time you'll ever speak of him or speak to him or hear of him. Again, seven years old, not really understanding that, spoke on the phone with our father and from that day forward, had not heard from him. So from what I'm understanding as an adult now, my mother gave my father a false number, false address, and um, kidnapped us, had no legal custody of us. And because she was in the military, she was able to get away with it. During that time, because she was also in the military, a single mother, she also didn't have people or she didn't have proper care for us. So she would leave us in the care of babysitters. During those care of babysitters, I was receiving physical abuse and sexual abuse by the babysitters and the babysitter's siblings and anyone else who lived in that home that was male and above. And I say babysitters, plural, because there was multiple babysitters. During this time, my mother was also throwing me in therapy because of the sexual abuse and then me having anger issues in the home and being diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, and all these diagnoses. And the one diagnose or one information that would have helped doctors diagnose me fully is if my mother would have been like, oh, by the way, I kidnapped this little girl. Yes, I am her mother, but I kidnapped her and she has no idea who I am. I never raised her as my daughter. I'm just cl now claiming her as my daughter and she's you know, I'm also abusing her and she has no idea. She went from a loving father situation and I've also kidnapped her multiple times when she was an infant from her father and threw her in the care of babysitters and was not involved and now I'm involved. Like if she would have given that information to doctors, I'm pretty sure they would have been like, yo, this child is traumatized. But instead, I didn't know how to express this. She didn't know how, to, she clearly didn't care to express this. So now I'm just a bipolar, schizophrenic, angry, ridden child. You know what I mean? I went through years and years and years of abuse with my mother. I have scars on my face from how many times this lady abused me with throw phones at my face if I didn't answer the phone correctly. Busted lips, you know, I have scars around my lips from how many times she would physically punch my face. She used to do this slapping thing where if um, she felt slightly disrespected or whatever, she would slap me and my brother. And if we flinched, even if it was a, you know, then we got another slap. And if it, it, we would, that would continue. And we literally would be, she would slap me for like minutes in a row, like five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, until finally I'm standing there like a soldier receiving her slaps. You know, that was traumatizing from seven to 12 years old while also in between babysitter's homes. Um, at one point, my mother grounded me for two years straight. I literally could not leave my bedroom just because like, there was a lot of abuse um, that went on with my mother and I remember as a child, I just, I just wanted to love her. I hate that I'm getting emotional because I'm not supposed to be, you know? I just wanted to love her and I just wanted to love the lady that 
called me her daughter. I don't know how many times my mom would come up to school and embarrass me in front of my classmates in elementary. Just so much abuse and I would be angry. I would go to school and purposely act out in school because of things that was happening in my home but my mother obviously didn't catch on to that so whatever, you know. CPS was involved multiple times of my life but I feel like where schools went wrong, anytime I would go to teachers or teachers would notice I would have scars on my face or body, I would tell them what's going on and then they would bring me into this office space with my mother and then try to get me to tell the story. And I'm just like, you expect me to tell this story with this lady who's literally killing me with her eyeballs glares, staring me down. You know, that's, that's, it's emotional to do that to a child. So of course I would take back all of my stories and be like, I, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, you know? Um, I spent so many t birthdays in mental hospitals. My 11th birthday, I was in a mental hospital. My 10th birthday, I was in a mental hospital. My 12th birthday, I was in residential treatment center. It's basically a mental hospital. My entire life as a child with my, or my entire childhood with my mother, I spent in hospitals. And I feel like that was just her scapegoat of being like, get rid of this child. You know, she was constantly trying to get rid of me. Um, it, what's what it felt like. I would say around, 12 going on 13 is whenever I ended up in foster care and this is where I felt the most abandoned in my entire life. I ended up in foster care due to my mother leaving me in the care of a lady, literally, it's so hard to tell the story. Me and my mother were constantly getting into a place where I was physically starting to fight back. I started, every time she would hit me, I'd hit back. You know, she'd scream at me, I'd scream back. I started getting into that space. And because of it, my mother started looking for different outlets of where I could live. And she then discovered this random lady she did not know, she didn't know the background of. She just happened to be expressing something to someone who said, I can help you, and then reached out to someone else. And then that's how this lady randomly became involved in, with my mother. Also spoke to this lady, and she said that she only met my mother once. Um, so that's crazy that my mother was like, yeah, you can have my daughter, here's her birth certificate, social shot record, and I'm moving out of Texas. I didn't know she was moving out of Texas. My mother tells me, pack a weekend bag, you're gonna go stay with this lady. Next thing you know, it goes, you're gonna stay with this lady for the summer. And the next thing you know, you're gonna go to school with this lady. And then I find out she moves, I wanna say a few months into my sixth grade year which was very hard because I was like, dang, like my mom left Texas. My mom's now living in Florida with my brother and my now younger sibler, sibling sister. Like that's, that was very hard for me to like understand. But I just, I feel like throughout my life, every time something was happening, I had to kind of push past it because there was something else happening, you know? So in that home, um, there was a situation that happened and the old version me wants to say that this lady abused me, but whenever I sat down with this lady earlier this year, she gave me her version of the story that happened whenever I was 13 years old, and it's not anything of where my mind made it up to be. Um, so it's very hard to share that story, but basically I ended up in a hospital and um, due to me exploding out of emotions that night that landed me in the hospital, lady was putting her hands on me and the cops were involved and then I ended up in a shelter and I ended up in foster care right after that. My CPS worker did try to contact my mother several times and um, when she did reach my mother, my mother answered the phone not knowing I was in my caseworker's office and her exact words were, do not fucking call me anymore, that is no longer my fucking daughter. And when I heard that at age 12, 13 years old, I was just like, wow, like, 
I'm not loved. I'm not wanted. Like this person who is supposed to be my mother doesn't want to be my mother. Like, you know, how was that? I, I just couldn't grasp that. That was very hard. And I would say I, I became angry. It's hard to share this story. And I feel like I'm trying to share this story to help like maybe um, help others. And then it's like, I'm realizing that I'm still processing my story, you know? But yeah, so I became an angry child in foster care. And um, I became almost a bully at first in my first foster home. I was bullying those in my home. I was causing a lot of issues, a lot of, you know, arguing with my foster parents, arguing with the kids in the home. And then I got shifted out into other homes and I became quiet because I then started being the one being bullied and um, constantly being abused by sibling or foster siblings. Um, every single home I went to, I could never have anything nice because if I did, they would break it, they would steal it. I could never have money because they would steal it. It was, I never had good clothes. Um, I was wearing the same five pair of clothes throughout my entire middle school and ninth, 10th grade. It was very, very hard to be known as the foster care girl because I moved around so much. So it was just like people knew, you know. Throughout all of this time, I did try to have a relationship with my mother and anytime I would try to have a relationship with her, it always resulted in the same, like just heated emotions of like, I'm angry at this person and why doesn't she want to hear me? Why doesn't she want to have a conversation with me? Why doesn't she want to, you know, like, help me understand what's going on and then instead she wants to smile on my face and pretend like she's this mother to me that I don't even know. So I feel like, because I, I ran away from foster care at 16 and from there, that point moving forward, that's when I started searching for answers. But up until I ran away, I couldn't really ask a question or receive an answer or even you know go anywhere. There has been times where my mother tried to force me inside her Santa religion, try to force me to pour animal blood on my body to be whatever in her religion. And if I, you know, didn't want to, it caused emotional outbreaks from her. So I feel like, I don't know, it was very, very hard. Um, so when I ran away from foster care, I was with my oldest son's father. He, uh, his mother reconnected me with my father. And I feel like at that point, I was 16 years old. How I viewed my father, I was just like, who are you to me? Like, I know you're my father, but who are you to me? And then now I have 20 siblings. Like, who are you guys to me? Like, I remember you, but I also don't remember you guys. And like, it's like, I remember all the good memories from my father. And then I was angry because he kept treating me like the little girl that got kidnapped from him. He was treating me like, oh, my baby girl, my baby girl, my baby girl. And I'd be like, I'm not a child anymore. So I was just in this angry space of like, I'm an adult and I'm older now. And who are you? Stop treating me like a baby. And you know, I was just in just such a strong-minded headspace that I couldn't receive my father's love. So I rebelled against him. I moved back to Texas because I was living in Texas that entire time. My mother left Texas. I was living in Texas from the time she left, brought us there, left, and then me going into my adult years. I was living in Texas. When I reunited with my father, I went to go stay temporarily in the East Coast, but 
rebel, you know, I couldn't receive that love. I went back, right back to Texas to go live with my oldest son's father. Got pregnant and I remember trying to reach out to my mother and tell her I was pregnant and she was just so like spiteful against it. Like um, telling me I was gonna struggle, telling me that like, I, I don't need this baby. Like anytime I tried to reach out to my mother for that mother love, for that mother support, it was always the opposite. And I was just like, why do I keep having this pull to reach towards someone that keeps leaving me in this like abandoned space, but I did, couldn't recognize it as an abandoned space. So yeah, I gave birth to my son or with my father up in the East Coast, um, Delaware area. Um, and even whenever I got married to my ex-husband, my mother was so non-supportive. She would send me mail to my house with my legal born last name, my maiden last name versus my married name. And I thought it was so disrespectful. Constantly asked me questions of like, if you've, your marriage fail, fails, what's your backup plan? Like lady, I'm not thinking about a back, backup plan because if it fails, we'll figure it out then. But if I'm thinking about, about a backup plan now, that means I'm half in, half out. And that's not how I like to live my life. You know what I mean? So my mother was very just negative in my life. I remember even as a child too, like part of the abuse that she, she was doing mental, emotional, and physical abuse a lot of the mental and emotional abuse she would do would be telling me like how I would be as an adult you're gonna be a pig you're gonna live dirty you're gonna be broke you're gonna be pregnant in 13 you're going to be um, you're gonna be homeless you're going to be you're gonna be all these things in life I would proudly like to say I'm a hundred percent opposite of everything my mother forecasted me to be and I feel like a lot of what my mother would speak to me as came from her childhood too, because that's what I discovered when I started asking questions and I reunited with my twin aunts that were from my mother's side you know, of the family, discovering that they too were born in a mental hospital and abandoned there and thrown in foster care. Same thing with my uncle. Discovering parts of my, my mother's life and getting understanding uh, for her through other people, which was very frustrating because I should be able to go to my mother and be like, hey lady, like what's your life story? Tell me your life story. Like what's, who, what happened to you? Like what, what did you go through so that I can understand this? But instead, I feel like I had to go through my life asking other people around her who may have potentially knew her to get some sort of answers of why she was the way she was. Why was she so cold? Why was she so shut down? Why was she so not nurturing? And also that is what my, my ex-husband would tell me, that I was not a nurturing being, that I was not a nurturing mother. As much as I thought I was, and as much as I was pushing to be, I also felt that disconnect. I didn't know how to nurture and love myself. I was lost in the feminine aspects of myself. I felt like, I don't know, I just felt so lost as a being, as a woman. I don't know how else to explain that. I just felt so lost as a woman. I didn't have guidance. And who I was looking up to be for guidance, I was not getting the correct guidance if that makes sense. In a lot of ways, I use my mother as a way to be like, oh, I will never be like her. I will never put, 
physically put my hands on my children. I'll never yell at my children. I'll never cuss at my children. I'll never put my children down, which thankfully I, I am that way. You know, I'm constantly love bombing my children. I'm constantly hugging and kissing my, like even my oldest 11 years old now, it's constantly be like, mom, I'm older now. Like stop kissing me in public. And I'm like, no, come here and get my kisses. Because when they're older, they're gonna appreciate that. And this is versions of love that I never received from my mother. And I just want my kids to get that, you know? And then I just understood a lot of my mother's life and why potentially a lot of her generational traumas that she went through from being a single mother, from foster care, from sexual abuse. I heard there was sexual abuse that went on in her life through my uncle and twin aunts um, and physical abuse. And just being the foster care system alone, I was able to create sympathy for her in those ways. I think parts of me created a lot of forgiveness for who she was and who she played a part in my life. I did create forgiveness because I also had to create space from her. And then I also am still dealing with anger. Like, I'm just now finding out this year, this year at age 29, that I was kidnapped three times from my father. And each time that my mother kidnapped me, she was not a part of my life. And when I, you know, those gaps were, I'm thinking at those gaps, I'm thinking sexual abuse was happening from other people and then physical and mental and emotional abuse was happening from my mother. So I'm just like, I have abandonment. I have, you know, all of these things that I'm just now starting to put the timeline together of like, oh, now this makes sense. It's still very scrambled for me and I'm still trying to put the pieces together myself of my story. And it's like, I think the one thing that I would like from my mother is an apology or acknowledgement of like, yeah, I may have done this to you. It is hard for me to live in Texas. It is hard for me to specifically live in Austin, Texas or drive through the highways or be in Killeen, Texas or Waco, Texas because all of those highways, I was physically beat by my mother on. I remember there's a specific highway going from Austin, Texas to Colleen, Fort Hood, Texas. And in that highway, my mom, I, there was like a very, there's a very vivid memory of my mother pulling over her car because I accidentally spilt her breast milk on my sister. And she was so angry about it. She opened up the door where I was sitting right behind the driver's seat. She opened the door, threw me in the middle of the highway. And if I didn't have quick cat-like reflexes, I would have been hit by a car. But instead I jumped up and ran back to where she was. And then instantly once I got to the car, she punched me in my face and I had a busted lip going home. That is what I think about every time I'm in Texas. And I'm like, these are the memories that I would like to share and speak with my mother. Like, hey, I'm not asking, I'm not share, sharing these stories for you to feel bad as a human or for you to question yourself and what you felt you had to do. Because me now as an adult, I understand you are in survival mode. You are in survival mode. And because you are in survival, survival mode, you will do absolutely whatever it takes to live. Whether that means abandoning your children, abusing your children, alienating yourself from friends and family, that is what you feel you have to do. And it makes me so sad um, and angry in ways because like, I want that acknowledgement. I don't need it. I want that acknowledgement from her. 
And I personally believe I was put on this lifetime earth to wake up from the generational trauma that my generations have been living. You know, my grandmother went through foster care and abuse. My mother, foster care and abuse. My twin aunts, foster care and abuse. Neglect, abandonment. You know, these are the things that stemmed so far in my generations that I would have wished my mother would have been like, hey, I'm gonna create a different outcome for my children the way I did. And it's sad that I can't receive that. Just a few days ago, my mother reached out to me and I guess that's what, um, I guess that's what fuels this podcast episode is that she reached out to me and, you know, she's deep in her Santo religion and um, she reached out with me with some like, hey, eh, there's going to be a big shift in your life and something's going to happen for you to realize that the spirits are real. And I'm like, lady... <laughs> I, I know spirits are real. I work with them. So why would you feel the need to send me this message? And I think I got so angry and heated about that from how many times in my life she tried to force this onto religion on me. When I lost my daughter, my precious baby girl at seven months pregnant, my mother kind of gave me an I told you so because I didn't do everything that she wanted me to do in her santo religious way to save my baby when I had a forecasted dream that I potentially might lose her. And it's just like, she's so ignorant and blinded to how she might be showing up to me in my life and how hurtful it might actually be. Like, don't, don't text me, hi, it's me, mom, if you've never actually been a mother figure in my life. You know what I mean? There's been a period of time where we went 10 years without speaking. And honestly, personally, like, we can't speak. I, I can't call you to say I love you because I won't get the same in return. I can't, I can't, the last time I planned a trip to Florida to go see her, she chose her job over me. And it constantly brings up this abandonment, you know, I'm, I want to express that healing is a continuous phase. You will never be healed. You will be triggered and then you will have to n learn new versions of healing. So when I was triggered by this text message, it triggered that abandonment, it triggered that neglect, it triggered that frustration of like, why would you text me? Hi, mom. And I don't even have you saved as mom in my phone because you've never been a mother figure in my life. So don't text me that. If you want to be a mother, how about text me? Hey, how are you? Something I never received from you. You know what I mean? And it's just like my responses that I gave her, I definitely could have worded differently but I also would like to talk about the death of my brother like who are you and why do you feel it's okay to live the life that you do and I never want to question her to make her make her um insecure or defensive I just want to understand you know what I mean like this was also my life that you affected by being how you are you know and I do love her but there is a lot of pain that I'm continuously healing and this form of acknowledgement with myself is where I was able to discover self-love and self-worth, self-value. Because every time I'm triggered by that abandonment, I have to reassess myself and redefine what love and mothering means. And also give myself grace because I am a wonderful mother and that I was able to actually be a wonderful mother to my children despite how I was shown mothering skills. You know, there's a lot of pain in my story and I feel like there, I, I may have still left so much there. 
But that is my story. A child of generational trauma, a child of neglect, a child of kidnapping, a child from sexual abuse, mental and physical abuse. And I have a feeling even my mother is watching this because I know for a fact she subscribed to my YouTube channel and she loves to watch me in every way than other actually be involved in my life, which is hilarious, you know? And if there's anything that I could tell her that she might actually listen to, when you're ready to speak, please know that I am coming from a place of love. I am coming from a place of understanding. I will always be your daughter. You will always be my mother. And until you are ready to speak about the topics that need to be spoken about, we cannot have a mother-daughter relationship. We have never had a mother-daughter relationship and I am not one to sweep anything under the rug. So for us to ever build one, these are conversations that need to be held for emotional healings on both parties to be happen. To Emotional healings for both parties to happen. You know, she needs emotional healing from losing her daughter and potentially I may have been a trigger to her abuse in her past, you know, and maybe I can give her that healing, but she has to allow me to be there. And she needs to allow herself to be here for me as well. So this is like a both party interaction. There's so much abuse that I would love to be able to talk with my mother and be like, hey, did you did you think it was okay to put tape over a child's mouth because you felt like they were talking too much? Do you feel like it was okay to beat a, to slam a child's face against a kitchen counter because they didn't want to eat beans or eat meat? And maybe that's why I'm vegetarian vegan now because whenever I questioned meat as an early age child, I was beat for it, you know what I mean? So it's like, did you think those were okay? Um, and if not, can we acknowledge that? Acknowledgement, you don't even have to apologize. Let's just, just like acknowledge that. Do you think it was okay to take me and my brother from my father's loving care and give him trauma, you know, for, and all these feelings of not being able to be there for it. Like, I can only imagine how my father feels seeing me and seeing how I had to live my life. And the only thing that he can think of is like, I could have been there to change that. You know, and I feel so much for my father because even if I try to reach out to my mother, on any of these topics, she immediately creates so much anger and hate and then she speaks from that place like, F your father and your father just wants to turn you against me and la 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 and I'm like, bro, my father still has so much love and respect for you. Whenever my father speaks of you, like, it comes from a loving space of him just being like, I, I just want the best for her and if he truly came from a place of hate, he wouldn't have waited 29 years to tell me the truth of why my life was led the way it was, you know? So it's just hard and like I am the product of generational trauma. It took until I was at age 28, 26. I was at age 26 when I started breaking out and in, into my spirituality. That's when I started discovering how I needed to heal and peeling back all these layers. And these are versions of the self that my mother never did. And it makes me truly so sad. So I hope that anyone who is listening and everyone who is listening, that you take my story and you create some sort of compassion for your own self-healing and understanding that like, however your life may have been led, you can still walk out of that life 
you know, sentence and create a different trajectory. You could literally end that version of yourself. You could be like, no more, no more generational trauma, no more pain, no more this, no more that. And I'm now rebirthing myself and changing the trajectory. And this is who I choose to be, not the life that has been already led for me and chosen for me by other people. You know, I don't know how many times so many people in my life would be like, oh, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to be nothing. I'm not going to, you know, live past a certain age. Like my own mother was wishing death upon me. My own mother attempted to kill me with sleeping medicines, which, you know, when I think about that, when I think about that, that my own mother tried to kill me with sleeping pills on 4th of July, it might explain why at age 24, when I attempted my very last suicide attempt, when I blacked out, I went for four bottles of sleeping pills. And I'm like, to this day, or up until like that realization of like, damn, my own mother tried to kill me with sleeping pills. Maybe that is why I leaned towards sleeping pills whenever I was like officially done with this life and I wanted out, you know what I mean? Like I attempted suicide throughout my life but that was like the most like the most defining moment of me trying to kill myself like me trying to take myself out of this life that was the defining moment and it took years later just a few weeks ago for me to sit down and be like dang my mother tried to kill me with sleeping pills that makes so much sense that may have been why whenever i had my mental break and i snapped and you know don't remember any of it but went to the store and bought bottles of sleeping pills and downed off all four it makes sense it makes sense you know what i mean our bodies respond to trauma in such a different way we store trauma in our body all throughout our body we're storing trauma so you never know like when you have a psychotic break what actually comes out and there's been so many times with my ex-husband where when i had a psychotic break throughout my marriage he'd be like Sometimes I felt like I was talking to the six-year-old little girl or I was talking to a 10-year-old little girl. Like he was like, my ex-husband felt like he was able to recognize different versions of me that was speaking at the age that I, or at a different age than what I was. So like if I was 23, I may have been speaking like a 10-year-old girl if I had a psychotic break. And I never really understood that. My ex-husband has recordings of it, and it's hard for me to see that versions of myself. Um, but all I could have done in this now day and age is create compassion for who I was and create compassion for who I want to be and also take all of, you know, this pain that I carry and create validation for myself and create love for myself and create worthiness for myself. Um, I don't feel sorry for myself. If anything, I feel so blessed. I feel so blessed to have the people in my life who never gave up on me and who wanted the best for myself, who who wanted the best for me. And I, I wanna take the time to thank every each and single one of you who never gave up on me in my life, who stood by my ex-husband, my children, my now current partner, um, my family, friends. I love you guys so much for always loving me and seeing the best in me and also seeing the hurt little girl that was just screaming for help. Um, so like I said, I hope that you take this version of me and the story and create some compassionate self-healing and it helps you break your generational trauma of things that you may be going through. And yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in on this lifelong emotional story. <laughs> I can't wait to see you in the next episode. Bye.